Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back once again to another episode of Aesthetic Soundwaves. I am your host, Glass. Show 25. Each episode, I uh, feel more proud and proud that, I can, that I'm doing these. So, um, with that said, I am going to give a shout out, first and foremost, to everyone still listening, everyone newly just tuning in, and of those, those of old tuning in. Uh, shout outs to all the states. Uh, Illinois, I see you've been tuning in. Thank you so much. Keep on listening. Hopefully you enjoy the rest of what I have I have made and have to give also. Um, title today. Well, actually, before we go any further, I'm going a little sociological today. So I don't want to do too much speaking right now because I'm doing a lot. Um... Some things have been on my mind, like like always, but uh, I'm going to approach a little different today. But uh, we're going sociological today. <laughs> um, obviously, the title of this episode is entitled The Shoe Complex. I'm going to get into that right after this introduction for, my, for this song. But I want you guys to, um, to take a listen at this. This was made in 1994. Uh... Artist, I played him on the show. Have I? No, I never have. But um, it's pretty soon. Uh, I will be. Um, Hip hop cats know this guy, Big L. Um, this comes off the album Danger Zone. I'm going to be playing Skits Remix. This is featuring Lord Finesse. But when I play this, I want you guys to really listen to the words and listen to the lyrics. And keep in mind, this was made in 94. This isn't 2017. Uh, there's a lot of philosophy in this song that I'm going to be breaking down after I get back. But first, let's get into that. Big L Sketch Remix featuring Lord Finesse. I will uh, speak to you in a minute. Riding bikes, roller skating, and playing skelsies. But nowadays, shit is different. Little kids be riffing, the motherfuckers won't listen. Instead of shooting tops, they shoot glocks. They point them at cops, and that's the way they get props. Yo, they do what they wanna. Fuck a nine to five, they making G's on the corner. Material things is what they wanna scoop, they can't get shit like that. Working for no summer youth, they got clients, they living like giants. They got the whole drug shit to a science. They got Jews and peepers, hundred dollar sneakers, Lexus coops, windows down, booming the speakers. They got bitches and favors, probably fucking your neighbor. Come on, they got shit under control like the mayor. Man, you see the news today. So how you gonna tell these little kids that school's the way? Yo, it ain't about IQ. Some of these kids are making more than doctors and didn't finish high school. Teenagers are caught up in the system. And God forbid if you front on them or try to diss them. They got everything from 
monster shotguns and I'll put two in your chest and lounge till the cops come. If you ain't from the ghetto, this is undercover. But in 94, shit is real like a motherfucker. Trying to strive nine to five out in the streets. There's no rain to shine. Trying to get into me. Fuck the cops. They don't obey the law. And if you ain't controlled by now, I ain't even trying to say no more. Once again, I'm going to say, uh, well, Big L was a beast on the mic and a lot of other things, but you know, that's for another episode. I'm, uh, so, as I said earlier, <laughs> that was recorded early 90s, right? Mid-90s? I don't know about you guys. But I feel like that philosophy has really gotten worse. Um, the kids are even more misled than what my generation was. And we were the 90s, 80s, 90s kids, you know what I mean, coming up in this. So, I mean, we're just as guilty to blame if you think about it. We're the ones who now have kids and we're raising teenagers and they're following our leads. You know, everyone gets influenced by something in their life. <laughs> but you would think... That that sounded like that it would come something out of today, and that's it's just the same. It's you know, to some extent, this episode today is gonna it's kind of wire esque, I guess you could say. What do you mean by that, glass? I like the show The Wire, um, for those who have seen it, which are many. 
and I really didn't intend on this to happen, but everything kind of comes in full circle. Everything connects. So a lot of this show is going to be like The Wire today. I'm connecting dots here and there, and eventually you'll see where it's going. Um, so <clears throat> that's why I'm, to some extent, I think it's its own theory, the shoe complex. <laughs> and there's a few factors, I think, that lead into this. So, what do I mean by the shoe complex? Okay. About a week or two ago, I, um, I was, uh, at work watching the news, and, uh, there was, unf there was a story that came on that, um, a, uh, mid-twenties man shot a, uh, a teenager, preteen, I believe. I think, nah, maybe he was, either way. He was a teenager. It's a life taken. Huh. Guy was about 24, 27, right? Um, somewhere here in Detroit. I probably should have got some information, but uh, a lot of it led to my thinking and some things I've been thinking about lately. Back to point. This man shot this teenager over a pair of Air Jordans. A new pair. Let me repeat that. He shot a teenager over a pair of Air Jordans. Now, for those who have lived in cities and grown up in rough neighborhoods and you know, I've listened to a lot of things. We know that this is a common day or a common weekly basis of things like this happening. Materialism, right? But still, when you break down the factor, and you know what? Let me say this. From the, the way the story was going, the kid was a straight-A student, good in school, didn't cause any trouble. So, obviously, you know, he liked shoes. Hey, you know, we all have a right to wear what we want to wear on public. Um, yeah, and cats out there are watching people, you know. You know, streets is watching, right? They're going to be, uh, they're definitely going to be looking at people for things that they want, taking what they want. So, it's unfortunate because... He shot this young man straight in the head, took his shoes, left him lying in the middle of the street. <laughs> the way the court trial looked, do you remember how Aaron Hernandez looked when he was getting um, indicted, right, for his charges? Really no remorse. That's the same way this guy looked. The man who shot this teenager. Just had no feeling. So, this guy is going to be gained 25 to 50 years in prison for a pair of shoes.
yeah, it blows your mind, right? Now, if this guy, I'm not saying stealing is right, but if this guy would have stolen a pair of Air Jordans, he probably would have gotten less time and not severe, severe punishment and or had to uh, kill someone over this, right? I think he would have been looked at a little more decently, I guess, so to say. I'm not calling this guy an animal. His actions were very animalistic. Do first, think last. The consequences that came out of it is now he's in prison for 25, as I said, 25, 50 years on, on this guy for a pair of Air Jordans. And he took a life. So the first thing that should come out of this today is... No, well, number one, my condolences to the family that lost their child over such an minute detail, and I don't even know how to express this one, over such a trivial stupid thing and it goes to show well actually and second and it goes to show almost the ignorance and almost maybe lacking consideration of the other party for one them to take another life for I'm I'm just going to keep saying it, for those shoes to take someone's life and I think that your means are greater than theirs right so somewhere in the shooter's life, he really lost, almost became, and when I say psychopath, I don't mean like a raging person, almost a lack of feeling. There's definitely no empathy there. It's apathetic. It's the opposite, right? So before this news story came on, I was really wanting to put this episode together anyway, but this just built into something that went through my head even more. So, that is why I entitled this episode The Shoe Complex today, and I put four factors together that make, that bring these sort of... I'm going to use the word deviances. I, I, I'm very hesitant to. But if someone's taken sociology classes and majored in sociology, they know that deviances um, change within uh, different societies. What's wrong in one society may be right, so forth and so on. But uh, in this situation, I'm going to have to use that word. So... I'm going to hit on this, the first two factors that I'm calling that build into this 
this circle, this mad vicious circle of ours and this humanity called the shoe complex. One, and you're going to see where I'm going with this at first. I'm looking on a note card here. Very rough draft note card. And it says, I put down for the first, first two, system, parentheses, local and federal, and then slash individual, failure of teaching. Two, lack of education, general, social, notice I just didn't put with that, I put social, and then in parentheses, I put knowledge of self. I've said in previous episodes, I'm going to cut, uh, keep it there for the moment, because there's two others I want to get into, but that's going to be in the next half of the show. Um, okay, so let's, let's get into this educational deal and the system, and and ourselves also. So, I've said in the show before that the system education, general education system is a joke. So, no, I'm not downing education. Education's a great thing. Um, I said this before, my dad came from a third world country where only rich people would were educated. The poor kids were basically your working class. Um, they never could afford school. You had to pay to go to school. So, you know, I was always raised being, uh, being raised to honor the fact and, and be, or appreciate the fact that I get a free education in this country. And that is a good thing in a lot of aspects. Um, but I wasn't raised, you know, Wealthy. I was raised like most of us, hard-working class families, blue-collar working class families, having to struggle from day to day. So a lot of my education didn't come from going to a charter school and a private. It didn't come from that. A lot of it came from me going to the library and reading and finding things that I wanted to do. I'll get into that later. So... But I've set the basis of what I'm trying to do because, ladies and gentlemen, I feel that the school system in this country has failed a lot of kids, especially nowadays. That song I played, right? He says they feel like they're going to basically pick up themes on the streets. And around their, well, basically on the streets that the school doesn't teach them, right? And there's other songs uh, that say certain things like school doesn't relate to them anymore. Uh, you know, they're worried about gaining money and things like that. And you know what? You can't blame the kids, really. You can. You can. But you got to blame the adults first, right? You got to blame us, the ones who are teaching these kids, whether it be for goes down from per parents and or the system. Which is why I built, I, number one, I put system, local, federal, and or individual, failure of teaching. We are the ones who set, <coughs> excuse me, we are the ones who set the bar for the kids. We are the ones who set the guidelines for them and teach them what they need to know. And sometimes they are falsely taught things. And then we get onto them when they make the wrong mistake. No. 
I don't want to rant too much because I can't do this. <laughs> what I am going to say is some, I feel we're teaching kids the wrong things. What do I mean? I'm looking at this article I'm about to read. It's going to be some attention span you guys need, but I, I feel it's very good. But I'm thinking too before I hit it. Okay. Notice I said number two, lack of education, general, social. Let's put morals in there. But knowledge of self, right? They go to school and they're taught, here's English, here's... And I've been off on this topic before. I believe I went off on this on... Uh, man, which episode was it? Uh, 23, 24, 24. Uh, red or dead. Um, but... Basically, the fact that we're not taught to think for ourselves and or uh, even how to think about things differently from a perspective, our actions, so forth. Um, and I kind of went off in that last episode also with a nuclear mouth. But knowledge of self, really. Knowledge of our owns our own beings, why we do things, what, how we do things, right? We, um, in school, you know, it's funny. You know, you, okay, you, when you graduate your senior year, your high school counselor asks, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, you know, you're 18 years old, you've experienced life, right? So they automatically are trying to say, here's what you should be. Or here's what do you want to be? Okay, here's what you're going to be. Well, most of the time, most people don't follow about, I don't know what percentage, but let's be honest, there's a lot of people who go, go out of high school, go into college, major in something, and then they realize that they're better at something else. So they really don't always follow through. They discover themselves later in life, right? Happens to most people. I know it happened to me. Happened to others out there who are listening to the show. So... <laughs> But the one thing that is irritating to me, really, about it, it's always been irritating, is that, you know, they say, okay, here, we're going to teach you in the educational system how to <laughs> be open-minded, and they give you the general education. We need those. We need those. Um, the general education, like math, science, we need all the, 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 the general stuff and the basics to be taught. But then they, a lot of the times they put business courses and things like that and basically how to succeed in the world and how to make all this money and how to do this, how to make your financial, and you know what, uh, make your financial future better. And I understand that, you know, I mean, money makes this world go around, cream, right? Like the Wu-Tang says. Okay, I understand that. We all have to pay our bills. But then we get mad at them when they're materialistic and say, oh, I want this BMW, so I'm going to steal this. And, I mean, then we almost flip around and say, well, you shouldn't do that. Well, we're the ones who taught them that money is everything and forget about all the secondaries. What do I mean by the secondary? I'm, I feel like I'm backtracking and kind of ranting, but I'm not. Because then these kids get out, they become business majors, and are going to business, and they're jerks, you know what I mean? Or things go into, uh, uh, 
getting sidetracked in my mind to have to take back my thoughts. Almost to the point where they're not taught how to think about other things. And I'm not saying everyone should be a philosopher in sociology, because I majored in sociology. Um, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we, the school system likes to devise it to where they say, oh, yeah, we're teaching them how to be open-minded. We're teaching them how to uh, go out and go to college and make money for a big corporate business, so forth, so on. You see where I'm going with this. And don't get me on the anti-bullying stuff. I'll get on that in another episode. All I'm going to say that's the most hypocritical statement. I'm not saying it for bullying, but that's another story. But we do teach our kids how to bully in adult life. It's, okay. it's not good for them to do it in, uh, in their younger years in school, right? Because that's wrong. That's mean. But uh, teach them how to go into business and fire people if they're not doing anything the right way. Or um, how to make money and kick others out the window so they can reach that top. Well, excuse me. Isn't that the same thing? It's just the adult life. Yeah, it's business. So what? I'm, I, I, all I care about is how to make the money. Not ethics. Um, I don't stray, actually. There's a lot to this. And this is going to be a longer show because, I, 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 like I said, certain things I have to say. But with that said... It's, it's backwards. They, they, in other words, they're trying to act like they're teaching our children all these various amounts of ways to be educated, go to school, go to a four-year college. That's the way. That's the only path. When really it's a one-way street for them. They're trying to influence our children. <laughs> I almost want to say make them androids. Funny, I would just read a story on that about two days ago about androids. Anyway, well, basically make them droids and program them. Once again, individuality is not respected in the society. So, and what do I mean by not teaching knowledge of self? Well, let's take the kid who shot the other kid. Obviously, he had no care. It would, he was just wanting those Jordans, right? If he would have been taught, why are you shooting this guy? Or anything else. We're not taught to think before. Uh, we're not taught to... I said this last episode. Last episode. <clears throat> think before we do, right? Um, it's do before we think. And if this kid would have known and realized that what he was about to do, but he had no regrets, and because of that, he wasn't thinking. So I'm not saying the guy isn't guilty and wrong for what he did, but something in his life made him not even really realize that, hey, I shouldn't do this. And that's us. That's the adult's fault for not teaching these kids this. Even though this guy isn't a kid, he's a 24-year-old guy. So he knew better. So, and that was one of the arguments that kind of got me a little angry. The uh, um, the defense attorney said, "Well, he come he came from a hardened neighborhood. Obviously, this happened in Detroit. 
basically he came from a hard neighbor and he didn't know any better I'm not gonna say any cuss words on this but my thoughts were <laughs> BS he didn't know any better he just didn't care so um, but if there would have been someone in this young man's life maybe years ago to say hey you know that's Ron maybe taught you something taught this person something before they made that mistake man maybe this guy never had guidance himself and in school he was probably hounded to do this and do this um, whatever I don't know the young man's circumstances but all I know is this, is that's definitely a loss of character, a loss, maybe a lost soul, acting on primal instinct almost. Here's what I want, I want it, and now I'm going to get it. And of course now, he has a long time to think about that. And he may never ever come out that way, who knows, I can't judge. Um, so... With that said, the school system fails our children because they don't teach them the rights and wrongs. And I don't mean from a religious perspective. I teach them what you should and shouldn't do in society and how to make you succeed outside of money and corporate institutional jobs. And how to step on others. How do you succeed to make yourself better so you aren't landing 25 to 50 years in jail? That's what I'm trying to say. So, today is a knockdown on the education system. At least this first half is. I ranted long enough on my point. Now I'm going to read you. an article that I think really hits on what I'm trying to say and the willingness to change there's a lot I'll get into that but I think I made my point I will say this before I go any further parents Adults, it's our job to teach these kids so they don't make the same mistakes that we have made or teach them better so they can do better for themselves, whether it be financially or mentally, and not have to roam the streets or do whatever it might be to screw things up for others and or themselves. So with that said... I'm going to get into an article. Detroit Metro Times. Courtesy of. This is printed out a few months ago. Article is by Michael Jackman. Title, Educating Snyder. You'll get the point when we get further into it. <sighs> Interesting article. Good read. Sad at some points. A little emotional, actually. But... This is going to tie into my first two points. The subtitle the, to the title it says, 
Uh, how Detroit students made a federal case out of the city's broken schools. Let's get into this, shall we? On the afternoon of Thursday, August 10th, at the Theodore Levin United States Courthouse, Attorney Representative Governor Rick Schneider argued that the state of Michigan, which has been so intimately involved with Detroit public schools for almost 20 years, has no responsibility to ensure, in, to ensure students in the district in the districts are taught how to read. The state's attorney moved for the dismissal of a lawsuit brought by seven Detroit school children in September of last year. That suit charged Governor, Governor Schneider, the members of the Michigan Board of Education, and various other state officials with failing to provide an opportunity to learn. It was brought with the assistance of Los Angeles Public Council, the, the country's largest pro bono law firm. The lawsuit describes lack of textbooks and basic materials, overcrowded classrooms, failure to address students' specific learning needs, lack of English language, learn learner instruction, and unqualified staff, and unsafe temperatures in the classroom, where students frequently can see their breath in the winter and are subjected to 90-degree heat in the summer. The lawyers associated with the case describe an environment where no homework can be assigned because no books exist. Students are essentially warehoused in a building for several hours a day, often without teachers. In his motion for dismissal, state attorneys argued before Judge Stephen J. Uh, Stephen J. Murphy III that the state of Michigan didn't agree that the state officials had any responsibility for the situation. You heard that, right? That's me staying this. They said they, and this basically, what this part boils down to in a minute is an amendment between federal and local. You heard that. Didn't agree that the state officials had any responsibility for the situation. I'll let you think about that. The attorney also said the state didn't concede that it has controlled Detroit public schools since 1999. The 14th Amendment, the state's attorney argued, contains no reference to literacy. Instead, counsel pointed to the charter operators and authorizers, boards, and, and intermediaries as possible culprits. The Mark D. Rosenbaum addressed... Uh, then Mark D. Ro uh, Mark D. Rosenbaum addressed the judge on why the suit should not be dismissed. As he said later on the courthouse steps, never in my life had I imagined I would stand before a court in the year 2017 arguing that the state had an ob obligation to provide students with textbooks and teachers, let alone a building in which they could learn without being distracted by the sweltering heat or having to put on a second jacket to stay warm. How did California-based nonprofit law confirm come to to uh, to catapult a seven Detroit school children into a civil rights suit in federal court? The firm, Public Counsel, takes a nationwide interest in substandard schools for poor minority students, given its mission to protect the legal rights of disadvantaged children. And as the firm's Ann Hudson Price describes it, Detroit has become ground zero for the issue. We had just been increasingly seeing districts there not providing even the most minimal education requirements, 
she says. In this case, D, in this case, Detroit is one of the most segregated districts in the country. The plaintiff schools in this case are overwhelming low-income students, minority students. The firm got an up-close and personal view of the problems in Detroit schools, thanks to public counsel lawyer Rosenbaum, who has taught for about 20 years at the nearby University of Michigan. With 40 years of experience in education, equity litigation, he and other attorneys from the firm spent weeks on the ground in Detroit meeting teachers and students. Hudson Price joined Rosenbaum as he toured schools and quizzed staff and students. The more they learned, the more they recognized the need to file a case for the kids. He was flabbergasted at the extent of the conditions in the schools, Hudson Price says. Detroit isn't the only place to have such extreme inequities in the schools, but we in Detroit couldn't believe what was going on. These visits to take stock, these visits to take stock of the conditions took place about when Twitter was flooded with photos of d disrepair in Detroit public schools. Those f those photos are the tip of the iceberg of what we saw when we went to schools. Hudson says the teachers were understandably at their wits end. Those conditions make it impossible to teach, to teach, to learn, and those are not conditions you see throughout Michigan. The conditions are spelled about in a lawsuit, which describes a welter of dysfunction. Some classrooms have no textbooks at all. And what books they have are grossly insufficient or decades out of date defaced and missing pages. In addition to books, schools also lack basic supplies such as chairs, desks, pens, and pencils, and even toilet paper. This, this story is going to get worse, people. Then there are the dangerous and unsanitary conditions seen so widely on Twitter. Decrepit and unsafe buildings with leaking roofs, broken windows, falling ceiling tiles, black mold, contaminated drinking water, and dangerous, dangerously overcrowded classrooms, as well as rodents and other vermin. Schools were sometimes closed or dismissed early due to extreme unsafe classroom temperatures. The schools also suffer a dearth of properly trained and certified teachers when stand-ins are available. Many don't have teaching credentials. The lawsuit even mentions one 8th grade student who taught a 7th and 8th grade math class for about a month because no teacher could be found. I wanted to say something. I'm going to save it to the end. Back to the story. Hudson... Price adds that the district recently pulled its well-established and successful reading recovery program from schools due to lack of teachers. Taken together, the lawsuit describes a sort of throw a book at them and hope they learn something method of education only without the book to throw. Rosenbaum and company argue that the students are simply warehoused for seven hours a day in an unsafe, degrading, and chaotic environment. That is a school in name only. They add that the outcomes are both predictable and heartbreaking in the plaintiff's schools. Serving almost exclusively low-income children of color, almost 99% of the students are unable to achieve proficiency, 
I'm sorry, people. It's uh, it's it's raining a little bit outside, and I got wind distracting me. But did you just hear that? What I just read? Almost 99% of the students are unable to achieve proficiency in the state mandated subjects. The suits say some students have vocabulary of only a couple of hundred words, struggle when spelling simple words, or stumble over one-syllable words when reading out loud. High school students spend months struggling to read books designed for third and fourth grade reading levels. Just to be clear, Hudson Price says, we're not suing the district. The defendants in this case are state officers. We have met incredible teachers and administrators who are doing the best with what they have. The teachers we meet across the border spend, on average, hundreds of dollars of their own money each year, sometimes thousands of dollars, to provide things like toilet paper, hand sanitizer, bug spray, things like that that wouldn't occur to me to come out of the teachers' pockets. Given these extreme conditions, the state's considerable involvement in creating them, along with the example of Flint coloring views of how the Schneider administration treats majority minority communities, you begin to see the unmistakable contours of civil rights case. The same government that gives you toxic waste for drinking water also gives you a school district that cannot teach. Amen. So, next part is really a hitting point too, um, and it kind of builds into a lot of things. Jamaria Hall arrives just a couple minutes late to meet us at Osborne High School, but it's understandable. Earlier, he attended the funeral of a 14-year-old classmate shot and killed in a drive-by shooting. He'll be gathering with friends tonight to remember her. On Friday, he'll be leaving for Tallahassee, where he'll, he, where he'll be an incoming freshman in college. Between his schoolmate's death and the promise of sunny Florida, it's obviously a bittersweet day for the lanky young man. It's also coming up on a one-year anniversary of the case in which he is a plaintiff. He uses the occasion to offer a brief tour of the building, at least the outside. School administrators refuse this entry. The 1956 structure is in, embla uh, embla emblazoned with huge ads. One shows a field of high-tech windmills, and another shows a student in a lab coat and gloves holding a Petri dish. Are there really lab coats and Petri dishes in this building? No, sir, Hall says, and if you find them, they might be so old and dusty you might not even want to touch them. The soft-spoken young man says he never dreamed he attended the school, let alone put in all four years there. Having grown up with his mother on the west side, he heard some tall tales about the hooliganisms on the east side, Osborne, when his father... Uh, Linnell Williams got a coaching job at the high school. His family decided it was best the basketball-playing son move in with Dad and go to school where he worked. Hall has since revised his views on the neighborhood, saying, I learned it's not like how everyone talked about. It's really a good, strong community. Though Hall grew up in poverty, he says his parents have always stressed the importance of education. One of his childhood memories... Uh, sorry. <clears throat> Uh, is an, is of an eviction that left him 
his mother and his little sister leave, living in a motel for a week. Williams came to the motel, and the uh, and the parents spent a, a week long layover quizzing the kids with flashcards in math and reading. Knowing that my mother and father wanted me to have an education that bad, I was just like, I know I'm going to make it, he says. If I put my mind to it, it doesn't matter what the obstacle is. I can I can make it. Whatever school I go to, I can get good grades, whatever I have to do. That attitude served Hall well because conditions at Osborne made learning a challenge. He winces when he recalls how he felt as an incoming freshman. When I came in the gym, I was like, this is the gym? Is this the practice gym or something like that? Where's the real gym? And then walking around the school was just looking around like, what? Like, this is the school that people are going to? Walking into Osborne used, used to make me feel down. I used to like going to school. I used to love school. Hall goes on to describe water fountains so old and decrepit he'd sit in school for six hours without water rather than drink from them. He, he describes restrooms with only a couple of working stalls, ceiling tiles with black mold, buckets and hallways under leaking ceilings, and mildew, mildewed carpeting. They've been trying to clean up, he says, because a lot of people have been coming in to look at the school. Hall says what a few, Hall, Hall says what a, what few books the school had were so out of date that some were older than him. Arriving at a class in the morning, Hall was as likely to be greeted by rodents as teachers. But the problem he and other students have found most discouraging is the staffing, or lack of it. There have been times when substitutes go on lunch break and don't come back. Hall says, or they just get up and walk out, or no call, no show to work, all types of things. So then maybe the girls sit in this room and watch this movie, and all the guys sit in this room and watch another movie. So it's like babysitting, not school. So now kids are frustrated, don't want to come. All those different things trickle down into people's lives, missing out on days that could have been spent on learning something new, doing something useful. Excuse me, I have to take a sip of water here. We play devil's advocate for a moment, pointing out that after all, Hall can read and write and is getting into college due to his grades. I can't read as good as as, as good as I would like to read, the end man says. I don't think I could read a super long 12th grade book because I haven't been taught 12th grade English th real thoroughly through. Like at Osborne, we do have teachers that care, but a lot of them are older and probably won't stick around too long. So it's just like, the ones who are here are just here. Maybe this was their last option. Or they're just, they just took the job to have it, saying in the class on their phones. It's, it's just crazy. Jamaria Hall doesn't ever get angry discussing his experience at Osborne, but he does see outlines of the institutional injustice clearly. We're getting set back behind everyone else, he says, but we're still taking the same tests that they are, still taking the same SAT. So now we're at the bottom, but we're working hard to be at the bottom. So what's the point of it? He'd like to see more hands-on education and athletics, maybe a cooking class in the school he says, or even maybe a swimming pool, so everyone could get some exercise. We'd love being in the water. Maybe the showers even work, at least after a hard day at gym or for the basketball team. Even the showers don't work? 
They look like they have never worked, Hall says, shaking his head. Like, ever. They're so deserted and broken down. Despite these pitiable conditions, you can still expect a chorus of voices ascribing illiteracy to a number of other factors, such as irresponsible parenting, lack of interest, and various morale, fail morale failings. The people making such claims can take heart knowing that Lansing is on their side. The state has actually taken that exact position, Hudson Price says. The state has said you can't trace the low proficiency scores to the state because you're not accounting for the intellectual capacity, poverty, parental interests, and lack thereof. Of course, we find that incredibly offensive. It has not been our experience in the least. Hudson Price describes the students she met with, an e with as eager to learn, excited about school. These aren't students who went to school looking for ways to avoid it, she says. You know, the public schools don't provide buses for general education students. These are students who traveled pretty far to get there, and they want to be there. As for parents, she says, they want to be the best for their children. They just don't have the options of schools that are available to their children without going outside of Detroit. And a lot of parents don't have the resources for that. And they shouldn't have to. In a city where so many of the poorest households lack a car, it's a compelling argument. Legally speaking... <laughs> sorry, people. Legally speaking, if students and their families lived up to grotesque stereotypes they're often cast in. That would still be a separate issue from whether the state is required to provide access to learning. Our lawsuit is not saying that you must deliver literacy. Hudson Price points out, we are saying you must deliver access to literacy and these students don't even have a chance. It doesn't matter what you are coming in, uh, into the school with, with if you don't even have a teacher. Indeed, with the most engaged parents and students, one wonders how learning is possible without books, heat, or teachers. Hudson Price describes schools where they regularly had, have two substitutes a day, or Reagan having two classes where there is no teacher at all. So they're sent to gym, or the ROTC room, or a video is just put on. One student said he couldn't help but sing along every time he hears the Frozen soundtrack come on. She says because she he has seen a movie so many times in his high school class. They're playing Frozen in high school classes. The August 10th hearing in Judge Murphy's courtroom makes poor courtroom drama without a jury to play to its polite game of argument and counter-argument that, frankly, could easily make a lay person's eye glaze over. The men at the bar arguing extremely fine points of law, uh, of law sharpened by more than a dozen Supreme Court decisions. No, not that any of the high courts rulings on education are radical or sweeping. The Supreme Court has never said everyone has a right to a first-rate ed education. Court decisions do seem to agree that Americans have a right to basic minimal education, though one that at least teaches reading, writing, and math. You guys are starting to see where I'm coming with my point now. 
The perception that Detroit schools do not meet this minimal basic standards makes the plaintiff's case that much stronger. The suit draws on sobering statistics to paint its picture, according to the respected National Assessment of Education. Progress in 2015. 93% of Detroit 8th graders were not proficient in reading and 96% were not proficient in math. Over the last eight years, Detroit 4th graders and 8th graders had lower math and reading scores than students in any other U.S. city. The suit quotes one urban education expert saying there is no jurisdiction of any kind at any level at any time in a 30-year history of NAEP that, that has ever registered such low numbers. Another job of the public counsel law team is to highlight Supreme Court rulings that have condemned similar conditions. They take some choice angles. The court has given heightened importance to basic education, not just a state of responsibility, but as integral to a functioning democracy. Furthermore, the court has repeatedly frowned on the selectivity denying one class of students access to education that others enjoy and the public counsel team references such rulings as Brown versus Board of Education, San Antonio Independent School District versus Rodriguez and so forth of others cases. This is me saying this, uh, that have been filed in the past in, in, in essence. As expected, when the lawyer for the defense, De Deputy Attorney General Timothy Haynes, stands before Judge Murphy, he moves that the case be dismissed. He argues that federal courts have never deemed literacy to be legally protected interests. And he also contends that the conditions in the Detroit schools are not the state's responsibility. Whew! Sorry! I have to get a little emotional there. You know, sheesh, you know, I mean, so what is the state's responsibility? I'm sorry, I gotta say this, I gotta break into the article. What is the state's responsibility? I'm shouting, I apologize. Back to article. I'm flabbergasted, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really funny. Um, it's, it's really interesting, actually, because I, I, before I got into this, I read this article, and so I wouldn't be stumbling upon my words so much, but it's still hard for me to read it, because there are points where I get pretty angry about certain things that are being said. Um, back to article, but I think there are other viewers out there right now listening to this and feeling the same emotion. The arguments seem curious, given, given how high-toned appeals to saving Detroit schools left the state's fingerprints all over the district. Lansing's first uh, re rested control of the district from 
its elected school board in 1999 under uh, under Republican Governor, Governor John Engler. And as, as counsel for the plaintiffs point out in the suit, the state had appointed five different emergency managers for the district to supplement local authority for almost a decade. And what seems an odd about face, the state now argues that emergency managers are actually local officials. The evidence of state's intervention doesn't end there. It includes the Education Achievements Authority plan to dramatically redesign public education in Detroit's lowest performing schools, and even a law Governor Schneider signed in June of last year allowing Detroit school Detroit schools district to employ non-certified teachers. What What's more, before the state of Michigan intervened, the district had a surplus of 93 million dollars healthy enrollment and test scores that were on the rise after the state's rescue in 1999 and then after the ensuing succession of emergency managers little remained by those promising figures by 2015 as reported by Kurt uh, Guyatt in Metro Times enrolling had plummeted by nearly 50 percent the number of schools cut in half and a title red ink annually amounted to tens of millions of dollars and sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars but even had all the intimate involvement n never taken place, Hudson Price declares the state would still be responsible for providing a basic education to every student in Michigan. That, that duty is spelled out in the state constitution, which says the lead, that leadership and general supervision over all public education is vested in a state board of education. She says the extent of Lancey's involvement just emphasizes the extent to which this was the state's responsibility. The state's defense team also lobs a Hail Mary past the legally obscure 11th Amendment gambit, something called the Rooker-Feldman Doctrine, which gives immunity from lawsuits, but plaintiff's counsel ha has anticipated this tactic. They have named the state officials, not the state, in the suit and are not seeking monetary damages. We are only seeking forward-looking remedies, Hudson Price says. The 11th Amendment doesn't preclude lawsuits that are seeking forward-looking injunctive relief requiring that government to comply with federal law. The past is important because it demonstrates what has happened, but the remedy is, is forward-looking, not backward. What will come of this legal jousting? We'll have to wait until another day. After the lawyers speak and then rebuke each other, then judge draws the session to a close, hinting that a decision will be on its way around mid to late September. Meanwhile, as Judge Murphy and his staff buckle down to pour over the co complicated legal arguments, Jamaria Hall gets ready to head off to college in Florida. He's one of the lucky ones, and he knows it. He's, his experience at Osborne has left him in philosophical frame of mind, trying to make the best of a bad situation. Sometimes he's used to. He's used to. Sometimes, though, going through hardship will help you. It will show you where your weaknesses are, he says. Your teachers may not always be, be there, but you have to get the assignment done anyway. He considers himself fortunate to have, have seen a bit of the world, especially by playing basketball, which took him places he normally would never have seen, such as the state of art schools. He, play, uh, uh, he played at Oakland County. It showed him there was a world beyond Osborne. That knowledge gave him hope and courage. A lot of kids don't know 
that there's an, there are other things outside of here. He says there's a real world and and Osborne is not regular. The things that go on around here aren't regular. And just because you come from around here doesn't mean <laughs> you have to stay here. That perception of the world outside was only heightened by his involvement in a lawsuit. And in the last year, he's been on television and has taken all expenses paid trips to speak at Harvard University and Los Angeles. Between podcasts and phone calls from European doc documentary producers, he has made connections to people he never dreamed he'd become acquainted with, let alone have his in his corner rooting for him. He counts himself blessed by his choices he's made, and he promises, I'm going to try to make the most of them. Sitting on the bleachers, he looks back at Osborne High School and offers a poetic description of the school, calling it a crab barrel, where you can't escape because you keep keep getting pulled or pushed back in. When you think you're almost out, he says, Some, something brings you right back down. Crabs get up to the rim of the barrel, and the end just get brought back down by all types of things, like other crabs. But he shows his newfound knowledge when he adds, a lot of the time, the crab is the state, because starting out, they're the ones at the top of the barrel. End article. <clears throat> I said a few weeks ago when I did uh, The Red or Dead, my oration isn't the best. I'm a... Uh, what's that show on NPR? Oh, I can't remember now. Uh, but there's a show on NPR where one guy reads certain books. Perfect orator. Great. So I'm working on it. Maybe there are things I could shorten. But I feel like uh, the themes I read to you guys, everything has a buildup and a cause. So with that said, I hope you've really got a lot out of this article. I know I did. Part, um, so, a few things. Obviously, when I read this, this is not to be reflected on all Detroit school systems. And as I said, this can be, this is other school systems, like said in the article. If, if you want to actually read it for yourself better, uh, I'm sure it's on the Detroit Metro Times. And thank you, uh, Detroit Metro Times, uh, for letting me read this article. Uh, I really felt I needed to share this. This is... This is... Everything I brought up earlier points to what this article was saying, too. And it all coincided with each other. Um, <laughs> it's... The, uh, number one, I gotta give a shout-out to this young man, uh, Jamaria Hall, man. That, the, I'm gonna be playing a song next that, in general, talks about change within people, but I, um, individuals, but also I think it very much well relates to systematical structures. To take a look at ourselves and say... 
how are we going to fix this? What are we going to fix? What are we going to fix about ourselves? And then go further along with that question, how are we going to fix it for others so that we can make it better for them? So I got to give a big shout out to this kid that coming from what he came from and he's going to college and still keeping an open and positive mind, that that really takes a lot because some people, like you said, could just be dragged down by other things. We all have... um, we all have our, our our little things in life that bring us down, and sometimes we can't get above. But this 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 uh, young man has obviously pulled himself out of, and he's doing his thing. So big props to that guy, man. Um, so I think for the moment. I've made my point by reading the article in a lot of ways. <sighs> Man, there are a lot of things that pass through my head, but to be honest with you, I'd, I'd be... I would be uh, ranting and going off on topics I don't need to be. So... I'm going to get into this next on, but I, you know what? No. The uh, This article proves what I was speaking about in the first two notes. The system made it so that the kids could fail. And yes, it's up to the kids to get up and above and realize their potential also. And this one young man, amongst others too, people have proven that you can do that. But the system didn't help in the the state of Michigan and so forth and so on. They are also responsible for the outcome of people's lives. It takes two to tango, they say. Right? In a marriage? It takes 50-50. It takes other partnerships to make a lot of other things work in other things. Why not it be this case? When one fails, the other fails. Unity. Unity. Help your brother out. Other note, for those who complain out there, a lot of us, I mean, I've, I've been lived in a lot of areas, but for those who live in, I've heard a lot of people, you know, in very uh, good school districts. You know, people say, oh, you know, very small towns, uh, some small towns, some other place. It doesn't matter. I hope this article sheds some light on your, maybe your, more of your access. If you have a school and or schools that are better, or not better, excuse me, that's a bad word to say in this situation, but that are more, um, 
I'm not thinking right now. The wind's distracting me outside. That have more materials available to you. And you have libraries and all of these things that you have access to. You really can't say that you have a bad educational background. So, you know what? Take advantage of that education you have and use it. Because some kids, some people around the, uh, the world and around this country have a way off worse than you do. And they're still making things happen. So you really have no excuse to say, I didn't receive a proper education, because you got it better than some. And even with that said, even if you don't have a great education system like some of these kids have had to experience um, in this high school and some others here in the city, uh, <laughs> let me tell you, people. Most of my knowledge didn't come from classrooms. It did. But it came from me going into libraries and reading things I wanted to read. Uh, I first uh, discovered Franz Kafka and Joseph Conrad and the realities of things they were writing on my own uh, in my own high school library at lunchtime. So it's like I told you in the beginning. I didn't receive a, a, a charter school rich education, very wealthy background. I didn't. I did it myself. So, you know, I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone. I'm better than the system. What I am saying is we all need to take a step back sometimes and look at ourselves and say, whoa, hold on here. Whether that be an individual or the system. And so, for that to happen, regardless of where we came from, if we want to show the system the problems that they're creating, we have to go up above and beyond, I guess, and do better for ourselves. There's a few, there's a lot of things that this article really, I, I hope, got out to you guys. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, this is the first half of the show today. I, I told you there's going to be a lot, but I feel like this could open some eyes to people. Which is uh, going to be kind of my next point The uh, for my next song. Next song is I'm playing up to kind of follow this up is Trombone Shorty off the album Back of Town. Title of it is called Right to Complain. Song highlights basically everything I've just said. So with that said, this is the first half of the show. Next half coming up, but um, I'm going to let Trombone Cherry take it from here. Third eye, people. Open your mind.
and look around. Anyway, let's play this trombone shorty. I'll be back in a minute. right we really have no right to complain if we a can't change ourselves and the situation and whatever uh, variances might be involved there or b if we know we have enough resources that we can make our own situation better and or other things better whether it be for a few or for one person. That's really true. Anyway, to build into this next point, I am going to first play a cut-in. Everyone already knows that I used to live on uh, in Mass. So I would record the shows. This next, 
this next this next part is actually a, 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 a cutout, a piece I took from a show that I recorded a long time ago back in uh, Massachusetts. This came from WRIU, University of Rhode Island, um, courtesy of them. This was a show that was on. The, uh, the host's name was Keith Grillo. Uh, I always enjoyed hearing this because this was, at the time, one of my days off for years. Anyway... I remember when I heard this guy, um, I, it was really nice and refreshing because, you know, hearing, you know, this guy just brought it on radio and said how it was, um, you know, he was kind of like basically the same format that I'm playing right now. In fact, probably, to be honest with you, where I got this idea of playing music uh, that I referred to as Northern Exposure in it, same idea, he just had his own way, and, um... Yeah, this guy would spit some real stuff, man. I mean, he was uh, motivational, you know, real motivational. Gave you pure thought, pure music. So, to build in, I'll get into my next part, but I want to let you uh, guys hear the words from this man's mouth because uh, this was one of those moving pieces uh, that I recorded off that show, and uh, I think it means a lot, and I think it'll make sense to everyone out there. Anyway, I'll be back in a minute. It is count time. Do a little, uh, little cop minutes dedicated to the inmates at the uh, Adult Women and Men Correctional Facility of Rhode Island, which I call the Cranston Hilton. Anybody involved in the system knows what that is. And shout out to my young bucks out there at the Ritz. You know what I'm saying? That's the Rhode Island Training School. And uh, everybody out there living a group home life and everything, you know, just... I know it's hard at a young age. I remember being there. I remember being in and out of group homes, uh, bouncing from family member to family member, just always being surrounded by drug addicts, alcoholics. Like, I remember it all, and I was lost. I was lost as Fox, man. I look back at the things that I used to think was right and used to think was cool and realized I was out of my damn mind. You know what I'm saying? I used to think running around with a gun all the time was cool. Uh... I used to think, you know, shooting at offices was cool. I used to think taking people's stuff was cool. Now I realize I was a retard. I was a retard, and I got a lot of, I got a lot of rights that I need to wrong. You know what I'm saying? So, everybody out there, that's 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 especially the youngs, especially the youngins. What I should have did when I was in and out of them training schools, and them group homes. It set a goal to make sure I never graduated to the correctional adult facilities. Had all the opportunities there. You know what I'm saying? I could have went to college. I just got out and wanted to make up for the two years I was just locked up. So, you know, it's first semester. I screwed that up. That was that was a wrap. But, um, you know what I'm saying? I, there was so many things. I was always a good writer. You know what I'm saying? I could write stories and poetry. We had... I could have got my stuff published when I was in the training school or in Ocean Tides. You know Like... But I didn't. I was lazy, you know. I was wanted to hurry up and get back out to the girls, and I wanted to hurry up and get back to drinking on the beach, and you know, what I'm saying going on blunt rides. You know, was, I was I was missing really big things in my life. You heard how stupid that sounded, right? It sounded retarded, right? Yeah, that's the way I justified cheap. And I realized throughout all these years, these hard, hard, struggling years, that um, that comes from being lost as a child that comes from everybody you're supposed to listen to 
lying to you, teaching you the wrong ways. Uh, you know what I'm saying? For, I, remember, I remember one conversation with my mom, and she must have been high because she told me if I have a problem, do drugs, and if I need money, sell drugs. You know what I'm saying? You go back and think about that, and I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm impressionable. You know what I'm saying? I'm the only white kid in Southside living on Hanover Street. I got I got to make a name for myself somehow. I got to do something. You know what I'm saying? Like all the other white kids stayed in that house. I wasn't I wasn't down for that, man. I liked I liked to play ball at Buckland Park. I liked the free lunches. You know what I'm saying? I I, I liked to go out, man. I didn't want to stay in the house, so I had to do something to catch people's eyes. I had to gain respect. And when you got your adults and and the people that are supposed to be teaching you around you, and you're lost, you know what I'm saying? You're very impressionable. You do things that that you wouldn't be able to do with a, making a conscious decision, and then and then you go to the programs and stuff, and you got these people that are actually telling you the truth. You know, you need to do this, you need to do that, and like, I swear to God, they were just singling me out. Man, you're just picking on me. You're singling me out. Fox, you you don't know what you're talking about. I got this. Wait till I get out. You'll see. Yeah, they came and seen me at the adult facility. That's the only thing they seen, because I didn't know what I was talking about. I had no idea. If I would have just listened to somebody, I would have been all right. But because my upbringing was the way it was and my childhood was so entertaining, it was hard to listen because I was lost. Because the people I looked up to that were supposed to guide me taught me the wrong ways. So I, I went into my adult years believing that the wrong ways I was taught growing up were actually the right ways. And I justified it by that. You can do all the justifying you want, but when you're in front of a judge with a list full of charges, unless you pass that bar exam and you know a couple people, <laughs> you're going to be sitting in the jail trying to justify the years that you're sitting there. And between my adult and my childhood years, man, I've done five and a half years locked up. It's a long time showering with dudes, especially when you like women. Uh... A lot of things I miss, man. I go back, man. I used to be a dealer. I used to sell a lot of coke. I used to sell a lot of weed. Uh, a lot of ecstasy. And I look back at the times. I'm sorry, Cole, but I'm... Hold on one second, people. Please hold. So I look back at the times, and... uh You take that five and a half years of being locked up. You times it by $5 an hour. Make so much more in that five dollars an hour doing something productive with your time than you do selling drugs. Because when you're selling drugs, man, the money comes as quick as it goes. And then you need a stack for lawyers. You need a stack. You need, you need a stack in case you got going to run. And you got to keep your stack at different places. Now, what if one of the people are untrustworthy and you can only get to one spot? You run to that one spot and go grab your shoebox, and uh, <laughs> the train left already. You know what I'm saying? Like so, especially the youngins out there. Focus on what you're doing. Think about it logically. Does it make sense? Would you want that done to yourself? That is the main thing. Before anybody makes a decision, they need to ask themselves, how would I feel if this happened to me? How would I feel if someone did this to me? This action that I'm about to do to this other person, if someone does it to me, how would I feel? And if you don't like the reaction of how you would feel, 
The answer is simple. Don't do it. You're doing the wrong thing. Took up some time here. I'm going to get back into some, uh, into the account time for the inmates. Um, you know, I live there. I know how it is. Please. You know, I get a lot of letters from y'all, man. And it sounds good, but I also know jail talk. I've been on the other side. So I'm just asking y'all, man, please, please be real with what you say. Because if you want to stick it to the system, the only way you can do that is by stopping federal funds. By stopping federal funds, you have to stay out of the ACI. I mean, I understand it's hard. There's a quota on justice now. Attention, people, you hear that, right? There's a quota on justice, which means it ain't justice no more. It became a business. With that being said, thank you for your time. I hope I made some sense to some people. hope I opened up some eyes. Anybody that's in the correctional facilities, young or old, need to reach out to me, you can do it. Write me a letter. 7255 Post Road, number 8, North Kingston, Rhode Island, 02582. You know, uh, you need me to say anything to your family, any shout-outs, anything that's just going to make your time go by a little bit easier. I can do that for you, but in return, I need you to stay out of that place once you get out. I need you to start schooling the youngsters on how your bad decisions made you to something that you're really not too proud of because anybody sitting in that place as proud as they want to be deep down inside you are not happy with yourself happiness is a state of mind you know what I'm saying Peter Pan had something think happy thoughts and you can fly think about that marinate on that think happy thoughts and you can fly as dumb as it sounds, it makes so much sense and has such a powerful meaning to it. You fly free all the bullshit. Heather B, you have just been found guilty in the first degree just for being you. My verdict is just a reflection of the times that we live in. I walk around in denim suits, timbal and boots, and every day my mission is to get loose. That makes me a target. I know I got to watch it. I'ma do nothing. Who am I? Heather B, I can't deny. And I curse because I've been cursed at a million times. That's all I heard from the F to the N word. Now I'm guilty for practicing what I've learned. Was it a crime to have made up my mind that I was sick of labels pimping me and whipping me ridiculously? Time after time I heard rhyme, ho, rhyme. So I talk back with rightfully mine. My right to rhyme. Guilty for striking back when niggas attack me. Guilty. Do what you gotta throw the book at me. Guilty. I'm not who you want me to be. Guilty. That's right for being me. Guilty for striking back when niggas attack me. Guilty. Do what you gotta throw the book at me. Guilty. I'm not who you want me to be. Guilty. That's right for being me. I supported Mecca over pride. right. And I kept my body covered out of respect for my father. I cop the stickiest in Harlem. My lungs are proof. I ignored every Surgeon General warning. Hip-hop junkie, so I pump a lot. And I won't let nobody chump me. I thump a lot and lump a lot. This game is ugly, but I had to drop. I'm too hungry. I hunt a lot, because I want a lot. Guilty. You don't like my habits? Because when I saw opportunity, I grabbed it. You 
I call it making it happen. You don't know some of these A&R bastards. They eval. Thought that I would play the back because I'm a female. You need to check your two-way and your email. I blew at retail. Even caught sales. Some little girls with ponytails. I've done nothing illegal. Guilty for striking back when niggas attack me. Guilty. Do what you got to throw the book at me. Guilty. I'm not who you want me to be. Guilty. That's right for being me. Guilty for striking back when niggas attack me. Guilty. Do what you got to throw the book at me. Guilty. I'm not who you want me to be. Guilty. That's right for being me. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But let the one without sin cast the first stone. If I'm wrong, sinner, from the day I was born. But that ain't stopping me from spitting about what really goes on. They kill me, these old uppity niggas. Trying to play judge and jury. What's up with these niggas? Right. What's your life like? Like you still a virgin, like you only hope your wife. Too many holy Christians, they guilty too. Just cause of the world that we live in. For it is written that one should be forgiven. Seventy times, seven times, even the wicked. All I wanted was my piece of the pie, so I took it. I had to keep my dream alive. Condemn me, but keep this in mind. Before you take mine, take this back out your own eye. Guilty for striking back when niggas attack me. Guilty. Do what you gotta throw the book at me. Guilty. I'm not who want me to be guilty that's right for being me guilty for striking back when niggas attack me guilty do what you gotta throw the book at me guilty i'm not who you want me to be guilty that's right for being me That was a moving speech he gave. I, I recall hearing that first time when I was blown away. I actually missed that show. Uh, he isn't on anymore. Um, so, you know, it was one of those things he recorded. But uh, I don't think I'll ever hear that again. But uh, I recorded a lot of those shows, actually. But that's a good, good messages in what he had to say, man. Um, it's funny. I, it's not really funny. But towards the end of that, when he, that's actually, I think, the show that got him kicked off air for like two weeks. Because at, at the end, he, you know, he, uh, he said, you know, BS in the, but the word, actual word. And I think, uh, the university ended up kicking him off, something like that. I can't exactly remember. But I think that was a show he got suspended for a few weeks. And a lot of people were wanting to hear him back for a while, but he hasn't been. I know when I moved, he wasn't doing his thing. Anyway, it's kind of sad because uh, we need a lot of people like that out there to do shows like these, to, you know, that aren't afraid to say things and point runs out with society and maybe spread a musical message with it, you know, do a mixture or whatever, rather than your radio, <clears throat> excuse me, your boring talk radio format. So, if people out there hear these things and like these type of show formats, don't be afraid to try it. It's uh, it's more than well worth it. Um, so, yeah, big shout-outs to uh, that host, man. Uh, as that was a good show when I was living in the Rhode Island, Massachusetts area. Um, good memories. Anyway...
his message is now was now my point that I want to bring into the next part of this complex that we call the shoe. Uh, on my note, on my little rough draft note card here, uh, I have two the last two factors that lead into this. Uh, man's fight, and I, I, th these are my words, obviously, but man's fight to survive slash struggle. And then number four, put in parentheses, open-ended, uh, willingness to change oneself, community, and or structure. So, um, a while ago, a few months ago, something like that, I got into a conversation. I called an old friend in a, in a in a place that they were living, city somewhere here in the U.S. And um, you know they grew up a uh, pretty pretty rough street life. You know, what I mean they uh, they were street kids. You know, what I mean so hustling and <laughs> hustling and. Uh, the, all, all they pretty much have known their whole life is a street, and because of it, they've been in jail a few times, and you know they they struggled in life. Not not to say they're bad people, because it's a good friend of mine, um, a man I respect actually very much. So, uh, intelligent person too, very intelligent. But he and I were having a conversation years uh, at some point. There is an article, I'm going to read one more article, it's not as long as the last one, it's actually shorter. Um, but they, uh, we were speaking at one point when, uh, you know, he was in the car with me, we were driving around. And he was, you know, he was stressing out on some stuff and we were just speaking about it. He said, man, he said, I just think I need to get back into the streets and so forth, so on, the same thing, right? And, you know, he was really hesitant to, but, you know, he was he was struggling. He was needing to get himself up and get some dough and, you know, all the usual that we all have. But he knew that what he was about to do wasn't right. Or I won't even use the word right. Was He knew the consequences of his actions later on, right? And he, you know, his, his inner self fighting his new self. But his old self and his true self is on the streets. So he was having a hard time, almost kind of asking me some things. I told him, I said, I can't tell you what to do. I said, but I can tell you this. You know where that's going to lead, and you know it's going to happen. I said, is it really worth it now? I said, you got this and that going. Is it worth it, man? He and I had a lot of those conversations. Good guy. And it's funny because when we speak now, those are the conversations he and I still remember. Like, you know, he, he and I will speak and say, you know, I still remember what we were saying. He's like, that's what got me through my hard times and so forth. And vice versa, you know. His advice on my own things got me through a few things of my own self. In fact, uh, his motivation is kind of some motivation for me doing a lot of stuff now. So big shout outs to this individual.
But um, it's funny when you get set in one one way of life. It doesn't have to be. You could be country boy, you know, from a country town, and you think that's how everything is done, right? And it's crazy because sometimes we don't know how to better ourselves or our situation. It doesn't always mean something's bad. It just means that that's where we're stuck and we don't know anymore past that. But if the situation you're is in uh, that you're bad, that you're going to get in trouble or whatever, you know, it's um, it's hard. It's hard kicking old habits. And so, about the same time before I called him, I read an article. Then it's reminded me so much of him. And this is actually a positive note. Oh, my dear friend. So it's actually a very uplifting uh, piece. I think all of these are, really, in, uh, that I'm reading to you. But once again, I want to get into this more than talk, as I did last part, but last one I needed. Anyway, this comes out of the Detroit Metro Times again. Um, article is by Tom Perkins. Uh, okay, so... Title is called Saving Lives with Barbecue. Um, How Sterling's Old Style Barbecue Beats the Streets in Northwest Detroit. And this is going to fit into a factor of basically everything that involves this. <clears throat> the glorious pig fat nearly melts into your mouth as the layers of rib tip meat, moist, tender, and pink from the smoke or are charred to a bark, fall apart. The tips spin the tips spin six hours above the wood coals into smokers puffing behind Sterling's old style barbecue in northwest Detroit and are in a word decadent. Their Detroit style rib tips are par excellence and they cap off a two-hour conversation on a recent hot Saturday afternoon in July with Sterling's co-owner, Quentin Pearson. And though our talk takes place in the hazy smokehouse among pallets of charcoal and stacks of chopped wood, Pearson mostly isn't talking technique. And though his ribs and rubs are in demand, either in the former Wendy's he converted to Sterling's or at the big summer family reunions in nearby Heinz Park, Pearson mostly isn't talking recipes. On this Saturday afternoon, he is philosophical. Any questions regarding pig pig and bird quickly go somewhere deeper. As Pearson explains, his decadent rib tips smoke chicken wings, poignant sauce made from scratch, formidable ribs, the rare in the inner city brisket, it's all part of equation, but not the end game. The latter is the is larger and of higher stakes than grilling, says Pearson, who's big framed and animated while explaining his motivation. All this, he says, gesturing towards hundred pounds of ribs tip on the meat smoker. This is just a small part of it. Many of the young men working in his kitchen are ex inmates who left the streets, he says. So is Pearson. He knows their struggle. Now 46 years old, the former drug dealer spent 10 years in prison after getting rich off his old trade. As a younger man, he never got to know some of his kids, ignored the duties of fatherhood, and stayed wrapped up in dealing, even if he's always loved cooking. It took Sterling's, which started in some form in 2014, for Pearson to break that life, make wholesale change, and begin to make amends with his family, and repair his past life damage. 
and part of making peace with his past includes using his kitchen skills for the force of good. Sterling's may trade in high-level barbecue, but beyond that it's a way for Pearson to try to save a few lives after so many dark years. I'm really just trying to help individuals get off the street and show them something different. That's my whole thing. How else can I make a difference? Look, I destroyed so many lives while in the street, so if I can save a few now, that's all I want to do. It's worth it, Pearson says. God gave me a gift to use, and for so long all I did was run. I want to do something right, and cooking is my outlet. Though he got wrapped up in drugs and the street early, Pearson also loved being in the kitchen. He grew up on the Detroit's on, uh, he grew up on Detroit seaside and entered high school just as the city's crack, epi crack epidemic peaked in the mid 1980s. But despite the world around him in 1989, he won a Detroit news-sponsored cooking contest as a senior in Golightly uh, Career and Technical Center that earned him a full scholarship to the School Crafts College, locally renowned culinary program in Livonia. But Metro Detroit's west suburbs seemed a galaxy away from Detroit's east side. Pearson struggled to adjust to a structured life in which he regularly interacted with white people for the first time, and following a disagreement with a professor, he didn't return. Cooking was all I wanted to do, but I didn't want, I, I didn't want it for real, so I had to go through some things, Pearson says. The next several years saw him in and out of kitchens in trouble before he opened his own place, Q Soul Food, in 1995. But Pearson still didn't know how to walk away from the street. He says, and a month later in the endeavor, he caught a drug charge that put him in federal prison for 10 years. On the inside, he worked hard in the kitchen until his 2005 release, at which point he determined to play it straight. But the transition from prison to society is a minefield. Pearson contended with a strict supervision, child support, a felony record, a reputation, old grudges, the old life's pull. The old life's pull. That, see, that's where this article's crazy. <laughs> we argue with ourselves. We have our, our, our demons in our past. All of us do, right? That's the hardest. We are our own worst enemy. And the hardest obstacle overcome is to fight the natural man, ourselves. It's interesting. That's a, that's a struggle we all have. I had to say that. Back to article. And other pressures that proved too overwhelmingly and stressful. It didn't take long for him to slip back into the street. It wasn't until 2013 that an unlikely series of events touched off by chance meeting would change his life. That year, Pearson opened a new restaurant, Q Soul Food Soul Food, on the east side near Gratiot in East Grand Boulevard. It failed, just as his new daughter was born prematurely, and he lost his business, his house, and most everything. Then one afternoon, 
A friend who, run, who runs the vestry suit shop on Jefferson Avenue rang up Pearson when a boy that a friend initially thought was Pearson walked into the store. The friend told Pearson, he walks like you, talks like you, can't be nobody but your son. Flipping page. As the three quickly figured out, it was indeed Pearson's long-lost son, Sterling. And Sterling appeared to be a cut from the same cloth as his old man. When he and Pearson met in March 2013, Pearson asked about his son's plans, to which Sterling replied, I want to be like you. That left Pearson stunned and worried. Ladies and gentlemen, this part of the article I can also connect with. Maybe some other time, but this I understand. But those statements just said right there. It's uh, life is crazy, isn't it? Back to article. I met myself at 18. It was like looking at myself, like deja vu, and at 18 years old, I needed a man in my life to teach me to be a man. <clears throat> Water. He says, my son looked at me, said he wanted to be just like me when I met him. I was just a wild, ambitious, foolish individual. I was a fool. As he got to know Sterling, Pearson came to realize that his son didn't come from where I came from, and he needed to see something different. Something different presented itself a year later. Sterling's grandfather is a pastor, is Pastor Everett Jennings Sr. at the New Providence Baptist Church at Plymouth Road and the Southfield Freeway. And in 2014, he invited Pearson to cater his church's picnic. Jennings liked the food so much that he made Pearson an offer to open a restaurant in a vacant Wendy's that he owned next to the church's property. It's hard to overstate the generosity in Jennings' offering. Pearson, a place to open a business. After all, Pearson is a guy who got Jennings' daughter pregnant and didn't help raise his grandson before suddenly reappearing in the boy's life almost by accident 18 years later. And it's also hard to overstate the impact on Pearson. That's what changed my whole life, he says. Him accepting me and believing in me changed my whole life. Everything I thought about the streets went out the window. Pearson named the restaurant Sterling's to honor his son and brought him aboard. He also brought on Will Worthy, an old friend who he describes as an uncle to help run the business. By early 2015, Sterling's officially smoked its first ribs, but Pearson took the opportunity to do something more than run a barbecue joint. He made it a good option for ex-inmates who otherwise have few. I'm trying to teach these guys to cook something besides drugs, he says. I know what it feels like not to have an option, and I know what it feels like to have one. I want to teach them what it means to stand behind what they say. By working with Pearson, they not only learn how to cook and run a business, but they seem but they see, some, see someone like themselves being successful. Jonathan Taylor, 37, started working at Sterling several years ago after he met a friend of Pearson's in jail. Taylor seemed like he wanted to make a change, so the mutual acquaintance introduced Taylor to Pearson. 
Taylor started at Sterling's by passing out flyers, working his way up to washing dishes, and once he earned Pearson's trust, made it to the line. Taylor credits Pearson's with saving his life. Before I was misdirected, I didn't have any plans, no goals, Taylor says. I got here and he showed me the business side of things, showed me how to cook, how to slow down and be patient in life. He's now a good friend, not only just my boss, but more like a father figure. Still, the streets are tempting on a Sunday, sunny day when old friends are out partying and hanging out, Taylor says, but that doesn't beat being able to pay the bills and support his kids. Being in the street, I can't support them like that, he says. That's a major part of it right there. I don't want to be in and out of jail. I'd rather cook. Taylor says eventually he wants to open his own restaurant. Of course, none of this works if what Taylor and Pearson roll out the kitchen is no good. But the ribs, which are some of the biggest in town, are stained red from hours of treatment on the smokers. And the meat is, the t is tender and slips from the bone. The barbecue sauce is deeply flavorful and garlicky. While the big smoked chicken wings are a nice change in the town that tends to bread and deep fry its birds. And though Sterling's is a positive story, it doesn't always have a totally neat, clean, and happy ending. While many of the guys stay and grow with Pearson, some slip back to the street and just aren't ready yet. Pearson says Ann Sterling since left the res restaurant to work elsewhere, though he sometimes stops in. Still, the relationship between the reunited father and son can be difficult to navigate. I was out of his life for 18 years, so it's a process. We're not on the best terms. We're not on the worst terms. That's my son, and I am his father, so we're working to bridge the gap. Pearson says, I'm trying my best to show him something different. The sacrifice is for me to walk away from the street life and try something totally different. So far, so good. End of article. For information, if people in the Detroit area or anywhere else close mind to, this, uh, the address of this place is um, Sterling's Old Style Barbecue. It's located at 18241 Plymouth Road, Detroit. Um, phone number 313-493-9495. Um, and there looks like there's an email. It says SOS, all one word, obviously. SOS, or no, excuse me, website. <laughs> The website is sosbbqdetroit.com. Moving story. <clears throat> Very moving. It's, uh, so, you know, we all have to come conclusions in our life about what we're going to do with them, whenever, however that is. No one's exactly on the same time frame. It all comes to us different times. And it's up, uh, up to us to change that. Um, it's like I said, we're always at argument with ourselves. So, and it's, and it's, it takes a long time for someone to get to know them own, their own selves. Sometimes people never get to know their own selves. You know, it's, it all varies. But um, obviously this gentleman right here, uh, got to give him props because, you know, it's hard to walk away from old habits and things you know. And some people just don't have the motivation or the strength to. And this man 
has, uh, this gentleman has found his way and realized his potential, the power he has, ability to change. His environment and others' environments around them, whether it be physical or mental. And even if it's just one person, like he says, you know, he's, he feels he's doing a job. That's pretty cool. I like that. So, I got to give a shout out to that friend who, um, who with many other conversations past then, since then, um, he himself has turned his life around. He's doing really well. He, um, He's still got that uh, a street hustle mentality, but he's turned that, <laughs> I guess in some cheesy aspect, he's turned that frown upside down, you know, the negative frown at least. And he's turned it into, instead of a negative hustle, he's turned into a positive hustle. And he is, uh, he's doing good for himself. Um, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's kept out of trouble and he, he's doing his thing. Um, proud of my boy. So, uh, good job. Not just to him, but to everyone else who, you know, has a troubled past and or is having trouble with their past, whatever scenario might be. Hopefully, these stories I'm reading to you today bring you up a little and get you to realize, hey, whatever, maybe we might, we as people might have to step up and start uh, challenging the system, you know. Whatever it might be, to make things better for a lot of things. So, yeah. Now, I think that all describes what I'm trying to relate here into this, uh, into what I call, as I said, the shoe complex. <laughs> You know, with all that combined, if the system fails the people and the people fail themselves and man's ability to survive only relies on the primal instincts of surviving and not and doing things maybe we shouldn't do or neglecting certain moral issues and the willingness not to change. our past and our, and our future, present and future, then we're going to be in an ever-evolving cycle. Same thing, same problems, and we will be ignorant to others' needs and whatever else you might want to throw in there. In other words, we don't elevate past where we need to be like this young man like I said in the beginning of the program who obviously shot that kid for a pair of shoes obviously he fell into this complex he knows no better 
but he does. We know that. But he is also a product of the system of society and also of himself. I said it takes two to tango and more. And if we don't evaluate these things, we're going to be diving into a dark abyss that we don't need to be in. But, flip it around, and you can do those four things and create a positive change. For various amount, for the other reasons. Progressive education. Progressive systems. Man's ability to survive, adapt, and elevate themselves. And also willingness to change themselves will also bring us to where we need to be. And of course, you know, life isn't perfect. You're going to have your, 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 um, your wanderers. You're going to have your lost souls. We all know that. Um, but in the end, I think the path we want to avoid is almost like the twilight zone don't get sh- don't get stuck in the shoe complex because maybe it's a complex we will never ever be able to get out of and the effect it will have on other people around us also I think I've said my bit for the day. Um, So I'm going to go out on a song here. I'm going to play Trombone Shorty again. Um, I like his messages. He's a, well, one, I like his music. Um, I played him before, newer jazz artist. But, uh, he, he's, but his CDs have a tendency to revolve around a lot of good ideas and themes. I like it. But this next song comes off the album Say That to Say This. Uh, title of the song, You and I, Out of This Place. Um, you know what it is, people. To make a change in our life... Sometimes we have to physically and mentally get ourselves out. This physically or mentally, it could be both, but in the, in the end it's we have to get ourselves out of that state of mind to better ourselves and to better others. So we're not going to be caught up in the system and we can't be stereotyped and so forth and so on. I'm not going to go there. But we can do it. We can change ourselves. It's hard, it's not easy, but we can do it. Um, and to do that, you and I have to be out of this place. With that said, 
I want to thank you guys for taking the time to tune in. I know there's a lot today, uh, but guess what? It's, it's my show. I can do this one, so I can say and play what I want. <laughs> and two, um, well, play with permission, of course. But uh, and, and two, um, you know, I enjoy doing this sort of thing. So thank you for listening. I, in, in return, I hope. I got a few people thinking and, uh, you know, got some, got some minds turning you know, today. Um, so I'm going to sign out and I will see you next episode, which is, uh, coming up really soon. Um, as I said, a lot of ideas and a lot of more good stuff to toss your guys, uh, toss your, toss your guys way until then. I'm going to leave you out with uh, with this song, and I will speak to you next time that this train passes by. So, ladies and gentlemen, be safe out there. Think before you do, and don't get caught in the shoe complex. This is Glass, signing out. Have a good day. Be safe. Don't ever let it get you down